Is there, is there a Panther fan in here? Oh, we do. Have, <laughs> we have people from North Carolina here. And you're not, but you are a, a fan. All right. We, it's it's going to be a good game. I, uh, I'm sure that there's a good portion of us that just are interested in what they're going to, what we're going to eat at that, you know, gathering or what commercials are going to be and how, how actually Coldplay could put on an exciting concert. No offense to you Coldplay fans, but boring. So I'm sure, I think Beyonce may show up and I don't know. It'll make it exciting, I guess. Uh, it is, I have to admit, it's been a while since I've been into football, but I'll tell you why. Roger Staubach, Billy Joe Dupree, Too Tall Jones, Randy White, those guys, Bob Lilly, come on. I come from that place, and I think, I don't usually look back in history and say, oh, things were better back then. I'm not one of those guys. I think that God is doing great things, even in football, uh, through the history of time. But, man, Tom Landry in those days, unbelievable. That was, you know, for me, that's sort of like the, the, uh, the foundational place. That it, you know, all, and you people who are from Texas, you know what I'm talking about. So uh, it's been hard for me to, to just let go of that and move forward. I apologize. But that's just, that's just where I am. I'm just stuck back there. I remember uh, we, I used to be a courier in... Uh, one time I, I made a, I was just like 19 or something. And I made a delivery to too tall at his house, you know, and man, it was awesome. You know, it's like, if you're into the Cowboys, just being around him was like so cool. And, he, and I'm big, but he was huge. Anyway, so we are in, we just started a new series or we're picking up actually where we dropped off in the fall. We've finished this series on marriage. If you missed last week on sex, uh, you may want to go back and listen to it. I don't know, um, but uh, that's, that's out there. We finished that up. Uh, now we're moving into this. What we did was we divided Galatians up into two pieces. We, is, we're calling it set free because that's this theme that runs throughout the book of Galatians. And uh, so we did a few weeks last fall. We're going to do a few weeks right now and, and come back to it and see this, uh, this thing that, that Paul is doing, it's just this genius treatise that Paul gives where he's just presenting the gospel over and over to try to help people really understand what it is and how beautiful it is and how amazing it is. And, and here is the, the thing that I want to share with you today. And there's an there's a, a idea, uh, it's, it's not just an idea, it's a reality, but it's a a theme that Paul returns to, and actually the whole scripture returns to again and again and again. And that is the idea of sonship and what it means once you know God that to be in a, a relationship that is like that of being a son. To be, uh, once the gospel has impacted us, once we have moved into relationship with God, we become a son. Now, for as soon as I began to, to um, something happening, <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> Spell check turned Galatians into gelatins, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's 
It's, it's hard, when, with Luray, when you try so hard to do something really nice and put, you know, the points up on the board and then it all gets jacked up. But thank you, Luray, for trying. So Paul is bringing in this idea of sonship. And as soon as I'm, as I'm looking at this idea of sonship, I'm thinking, well, why is it sonship? What is, what's going on there? Is this um, different than daughtership? Or how, how does this work? Why is, you know, how, where do females fit in this thing? If you just, it, we're going to be in Galatians 3 and 4 today. But in Galatians 3, Paul says, in what I'm talking about, in relationship with God, there is no female. There is no male. There's, he says, there's no powerful people. There are no slaves. In relationship with God, it is uh, directly with him through Jesus. And that's really important to understand that, that when we're going to look at this idea of sonship, that I think there's a nuance. Like in that culture, sonship was a really big deal. It's certainly important now. But what was, what was important about it was that it was firstborn sonship. The idea of being the firstborn was what was so critical to them. Because if you weren't the firstborn in that culture, you were sort of second class. And so I'll say the word sonship a few times. I'll say firstborn. But what I'm talking about and what Paul's talking about is that when we move into relationship with God through Jesus, we become as a firstborn, male or female. So the word sonship meant something to them. But just before it, Paul had said, this is not male or female. This is not about status. It's not about political power or lack of it. It's about relationship with God, which makes us all equal in his eyes, which is a beautiful thing. So it's, it's a firstborn ship that we move into, if you will. And, and I'll bring that out a little bit more. Uh, but it's very important as we look at this, and Paul is coming back again and again to show us the gospel if you aren't a believer, if you haven't crossed that line of faith and said, okay, yeah, I understand this. I believe in who Jesus was and that he made it possible for me to know God. If you haven't come to that point yet, that's okay. But you need to understand what the offering is so that you can say, hey, that is for me or that isn't. But if you are someone who has crossed the line of faith, and this is something that is a struggle for many of us, we need to be able to communicate and understand and clearly talk about what the gospel is. I mean, the gospel is central to this whole thing that we believe. And it's sometimes if, if I was to pop up and say, hey, what's the gospel? You might struggle. I might, I might go, oh, it's, uh, and I'm thinking about 10 different things. Let me tell you what it is. It's the story of Jesus reconciling us to God. That is the gospel. That plays out in different ways. There are certain facts that are behind that that we needed to be reconciled to God. We had a problem that could only be fixed by God himself in the form of Jesus and that the only way that we enter into that relationship is by faith. It's offered to us, it's made possible that we might know God, we might be in that firstborn sonship, but that one play, that one thing is offered, it's not forced upon us, and we decide. He, de- he doesn't make us. We enter that relationship by faith, and then we move forward with him. And out of that comes the, the life of following him. So we need to deeply understand this thing. And the idea of sonship or firstborn sonship is really important. So if you have your Bible, you can open to Galatians 3, 3.23. We're going to hit one verse in Galatians 3, and then we're going to go to 4, uh, chapter 4, in verse 3. But I wanted to read the verse in, in chapter 3 because it sort of helps frame up the rest. So... 
Paul says, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Now skip up to chapter 4 and verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. All right, so this idea of sonship, we're going to unfold from this passage right here. And I hope you saw it pop out a few times as I was reading through that. And we're going to look at three aspects of that. One is pre-sonship. What's it like before we are in that sonship relationship? And then second, the status or the the reality, the legal reality of being in a position of sonship or firstbornship with God. And then the experience of that and how we experience it, how we, how we feel it, how we know it in a different way than just a legal way. So those are the three uh, points we're going to move through today. So pre-sonship, what's it like before? And if you, were, if you look, especially at, at verse 23 in chapter 3, uh, Paul uses a couple of words that are really important. Uh, in fact, this passage is loaded with big theological words. It's just packed. Like you could, uh, each word could be, we could spend a lot of time on. We're not going to do that. But captivity and slavery are two words that Paul uses to describe this situation that we're in before we move into a relationship with God. Now, uh, I want to talk about the one, I want to talk about captivity first for just a moment, what that, what that means. Uh, if you are a captive, then you, you basically are, are hemmed in and you have no rights. You can't actually choose to make your own way. Is that, does that make sense? Like a jail cell or a, maybe your big brother made you captive, you know, in some way you could never escape from it. Um, If you haven't come, if you're, if you're in that place and you're not a believer and you're here, let me just encourage you. Um, I hope that what the Bible describes here, what Paul is telling us is something that you can, and I once did look at and say, somehow that really makes sense for me to understand where I actually am. And I'm going to try to, try to bring, elucidate that just a little bit. But at some point, at the right time, Jesus enters our life and says, hey, let me make you aware of the captivity that you're experiencing. You just, you may not realize it, but here, here's what it looks like and here's what I'm offering you. So, captivity. I, I want to describe it differently than a jail cell or something like that. I don't know if you read or heard about this guy. His name's Henry Worsley. He is a, uh, a British explorer. And about three months ago, he was, he, he's 50, he was 55 years old or so. He was going to make the crossing of Antarctica solo. It's been done a couple of times, but it's, only, it's been done with aid. And he was going to do it by himself. So this is, he was going to do a 75-day journey, 900 miles. So he's on skis with this kind of a boat-looking thing behind him. You can, you can see what it's looked like. If you can imagine skinning for 75 days straight... 
all day long, like 13 hours a day. Some of us might enjoy that. (laughs) Henry Worsley is actually related to Frank Worsley. For those of you history buffs, Tyler, I know you're out there, you know what I'm talking about. Frank Worsley was actually in 1917 on the ship with Shackleton, right? Who was... (laughs) Wow. You don't hear that very often. <laughs> All kinds of weird things happening today. I thought, I thought my pants were unzipped when y'all started laughing about the thing. Like, what is happening here? By the way, that has happened to me. Uh, so Frank Worsley was on the ship with Shackleton. They got frozen in the ice, actually sank, and all the, the crew, you know, miraculously lived because of the leadership of Shackleton. But uh, this guy, Henry, a descendant, uh, relative of Frank Worsley, is on the journey. This is an amazing thing. He's raising money for charity. He's doing you know, this incredible adventure. People are inspired all over the world by his story. He's posting about it. 900 miles, right? 30 miles from the end. I can't go any further. Okay, that's the post. I can't do it. And of course, you know, if you're that determined, he really can't go any further. They airlift him out and he dies within a couple of days because he had an infection that he did not know about in his, in his in, inside. In his, I can't remember what they called it, but anyway, he, he passed away from that. And this is, the, this is the captivity that we are in as humans before we know Jesus. We are doing good things. We are seeking good things. We experience a shadow of amazing things and we but we cannot actually get to the end. We cannot actually experience what it is to actually be complete without Christ. I'm just making that statement to you. He, was, he wasn't seeking Christ in that. He, that's not what was happening. But this is a, I'm trying to show you this is a metaphor, not like we're in a prison, because that's not actually true. We're seeing and experiencing things that are unbelievable, both sorrow and in joy. But in the end, we'll be frustrated. And he didn't know he had a disease. He didn't know about it. But he died from that. He didn't die from exhaustion or any of the other things, running out of food or anything. He still had food. He was able to continue. But he couldn't go on. It was over. That's this kind of captivity that we're in where we, we try to fill ourselves and we try and try and try. And nothing quite does it and nothing ever will. That's the captivity the imprisonment that we're in. And then in verse, uh, in chapter three, four, verse three, he says, in the same way, when we were children, we were enslaved to these principles of the world. So this word enslavement, I think is something that we should talk about just for a minute as well. Uh, he says, when we were children, and just to be brief about that, what he means is that before, before we became sons, if we're Christians, he's speaking to Christians here, before we became sons, we were, we were children. That's, that's how he's, that's the metaphor he's using. So before you knew Jesus, you were a child. And in that sense, you were captive or imprisoned. He says, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Um, that to me sounds like poetic philosopher speak a little bit. Enslaved to the, you know, these powers of the world. It sounds religious-ish. But I think what he's saying is something very simple. And I just said it a moment ago that we are incapable, before we know Christ, of doing anything but trying to add things to us so that we fill ourselves up. 
I'll be smarter. I'll get a degree. I'll be more fit. I'll be a better, I'll own more stuff. I'll be more successful. I'll be prettier. Whatever our list of things is, I'll be a better son, a better dad, all the things that we want to add to ourselves, but they will never fill us up. But we're doing that because we're inside this world. There is no spiritual connection to something bigger. It's just, we're simply locked in to the principles of the world. So a couple of phrases in this one verse. Well, let me, let me back up for a second. I, when we're, we're enslaved to this world, uh, we're looking for something, almost like Worsley was looking for this success. We're looking for something that we can't get to. And what I believe that truly is, is relationship. Relationship with, really, it's with the one true God. But a friend of mine, uh, John, sent me this week, a, or last week, a, a TED Talk by a Harvard professor who's taken over a study that's, I think, over 100 years old. And they're studying of many, many men to find out what makes people happy. What is the secret to happiness? So they started studying these guys back right before the, the Second World War, and they've been following them ever since and their families. And they've studied their brains, their bodies. They, take, uh, they study people around them, their own answers to questions. They continually come back to them again and again and again. And the result of the study is that the thing that brings most health and happiness is relationships, healthy relationships. Now, we didn't need Harvard scholars to tell us that, did we? But what's interesting is he said, when we ask young people, millennials, how, how, what do they want to do to be successful? What's success in their eyes? Well, I want to be wealthy and have, you know, have what I want to have. And he says, well, if you really want to be happy, what this tells us, if you want to in, have, in fact, even physical health, then relationship is what you need to be seeking, not money. Do you see how that plays out in, in application? We're seeking relationship because God made us that way. We're the only species that does this kind of thing. And then the other step is that what we're looking for is relationship with God. That's the thing that we, we can find relationship on earth and it will go so far. But it's just another thing we fill our tank with until in Christ we're able to actually have that relationship pour into the, to the most significant relationships in our lives. So, there is this place that we are pre-sonship, and it looks like this, and Paul's described these different words. But then we move into this, if we believe, we move into this place of sonship, which is like a legal place. There's this, um, this thing that happens that makes us right before God after we believe. Verse 4 is where we can see it. Look at it with me, if you will. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so they might receive adoption as sons. Under the law is another way of saying, you know, before, or in prison or, or in captivity. These phrases that are in this, these, these little statements, I want you to see. God, the first one is God sent his son. It's in the second part of verse four. God sent his son. There is no way that we can dig to the bottom of the meaning of that, just that one little phrase. What it meant for God to send his son is 
outside of our ability to comprehend. But something that we can, a couple of things we can say are that he willingly came and he took on who we are, our flesh, the things that we struggle with. The Bible makes that clear all the way through. But he came knowing that he would die. Have you ever watched a movie where someone says, these people are in danger, I'm going to go, and you're pretty sure that at the end, the, the guy who's going to save him is going to live? You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, oh, that's pretty no, no, uh, noble of you. You know, you're, you're going to get shot at, you're probably going to get shot, but you're going to live, and that's how the movie's going to end all happy, right? And we, we like those shows and those movies, but when somebody goes in and you know they're going to die, that's a different level. They're not coming back. And the point of it was that when Jesus went, he was going to die. He went with that mission in mind for us. Um, So God sent his son to us. It's critical to understand in this moving to this legal point of being a son. But another word in there that's really important to understand is that what he did was he came to redeem us. I love that word. It's a great word in the Bible, to redeem. It means to uh, replace one with another. If I redeem something, I give something and get something for it, right? I've redeemed, and, and that's what Jesus does. He comes and he redeems. And I think it's important to illustrate this a little bit. I've told you this before, I think, uh, and those of you who know this story better than I do, I apologize if I don't get it right. There's a camp called Kanakuk over in Missouri. And at some point, a while back, uh, there was a kid, this is a sports camp, and it was really focused on sports back in this day. And so athletes would come there, and athletes would be the, the counselors. And a kid, a student or a, a kid, uh, a camper, committed just a pretty heinous infraction and there was going to have to be a serious response to that thing. And so the counselor is having this, you know, really intense conversation with the kid. The kid is more, is sad, you know, very sad that this has happened. He realizes what he's done is wrong. Um, and so one of the things they used to do there, and maybe they still do, is, is they would have people run steps as a punishment. And so... The counselor said, you know, this is what you've done. And this is what is prescribed because of what you've done instead of sending you home. But instead of having you do this, instead of having you run until you're exhausted, I'm going to run the steps for you. And so the counselor got up and ran this incredible, you know, number of steps and went beyond what he had to do to illustrate for this kid, someone taking his place. In other words, redeeming what had to be paid. Something had to be given because of the infraction, right? You can't just say, oh, who cares? Go on. That's not how it works. We all understand that. It had to be paid. Somebody had to pay it. And so the counselor paid it. And I've always gone back to that as an understanding for me of what Jesus actually did. He took our, but in a much more significant way. When he came to redeem, he redeemed with his life instead of us. And then it says, another phrase in there is it says that we might receive adoption. There's a real key word at the beginning of that. We might. 
It doesn't say that we would have to follow this teaching, that we would have to follow Jesus, it says that we might. He didn't even go knowing that we were going, he, he knows what's gonna happen, but he didn't go requiring what we would do in response, what humankind would do in response. that we might receive adoption. In other words, he makes it possible for us to be brought into this sonship relationship. He does the work and he puts the papers on the table and he says, it's up to you. That we might receive adoption. And one more phrase in there, I'm just gonna mention real quickly and it's amazing, is in the fullness of time. God does, there is nothing outside of his plan. And when he comes to us, when, he, when Christ came to us in the big picture to rescue us, to redeem us, that was in the fullness of time. But in your own individual lives and in my life, he also comes to us and reveals himself to us in the fullness of time. At the right time, he will impact you. He will offer you these papers that he has made po- where he has made it possible for you to be in this relationship of sonship. So there is this status of sonship that is offered to us. And when we believe, it's almost like saying, yes, I will be adopted. And we move into that legal space. You are adopted. You are in now a relationship made possible by Jesus with God. But the third thing is this experience of sonship. God goes beyond just making us right with him to giving us the experience or even the feeling of being right with him. This is pretty, pretty amazing stuff when you, when you really, and I would encourage you to, to meditate on this and dig down on it. See, we're more comfortable with a boss-employee relationship with God. Oh, I messed up. I'm sorry. Can, uh, what do I need to do to fix it? What do you want me to do to live my life for you? I, I messed up, but let me just do these right things and we'll get it all right. There are a lot of uh, denominations that, that are claimed to be Christian and they've made everything about what we do to be right with God. But, but do you see that the difference is that Jesus did what we need in order to be right with God. We don't, do, we don't do that. What we do comes out of knowing it because we're in a sonship or firstborn sonship relationship. See, that's totally different. We have to wipe away the, I got to do this stuff and move into the, he's done it and now I'm in relationship. And because I am in that relationship, things are different. For instance, I can wear this ring, right? I mean, Claire, I've lost this two or three times and man, Claire hates it when I lose my ring. And I do too. But just because I have a ring on, that doesn't indicate that there is anything special between my wife and I. It just means we have a contractual agreement to be married, Right? I mean, you can determine that from this, but just looking at me and seeing this, you don't know what my relationship is with, like with my wife, except that you know I'm saying, hey, it's real. But it doesn't in- indicate any intimacy. It doesn't indicate relationship. It doesn't indicate any feeling or anything else. We all know, what, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. But God sent his spirit... Right? There's, he sends two things, two entities. Jesus, he sends to make us right. And then he sends his spirit. Look at this. Look at verse six. This is pretty cool. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your heart, hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you're no longer a slave or stuck out of relationship, but you're a son. 
And if a son, then an heir through God. See, the spirit brings the feeling or the relationship, the actual intimacy of the relationship. It goes from legal to experiential. And right there, do you see Paul's bringing up another huge theological thing? There's the father in some way, there is the son in some way, and there is the spirit, and they all work together and have different roles. So this big theological thing is happening here. So that we move beyond a contract to a covenant and a relationship with God, and that's something completely different. One last thing on that. Do you notice in verse six, it says, and God sent the spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Most of you have probably heard a message before about this. You know, the word Abba means daddy. It's not a band from the 70s, from Scandinavia, okay? We all have messed up and broken father relationships. One way or another, all of us have father relationships that things aren't right in them. It's just the way it goes. So I want to encourage you to, to step back from whatever that is with, in your life that you're experiencing now. In fact, Claire, Claire and I have often talked about, you know, maybe we should set up a counseling fund for our kids so they can deal with father <laughs> issues that they're going to have. We all have that stuff, but if we could step back from that just for a moment and look at what this is talking about, this is that thing. Now, whether you've had a kid or not, it doesn't matter. You've seen this and you can feel it. You can experience it. When a child runs to their father going, daddy, 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 daddy. That's a powerful thing. It doesn't matter you know, where you're watching it from. When you see that, you know. If we were to take away all the father stuff that we have, this is the kind of trusting, safe, exciting relationship that is full of feeling and emotion that is possible between us and God. But because we want a boss employee relationship, we run to that instead of run to know God. Do you see the difference? The thing that we automatically do. It's just what we do. We're just, that's how we're broken like that. We want to perform. But instead, what God has provided is this spirit, his spirit, and the role of the spirit is to fill us to such a point that we experience what that child feels when it runs in a healthy relationship, the only the kid doesn't know any better, but to run in trust and safety and love towards his father or her father. That's the Abba. That's what's so incredible. This passage, like I said, is just full one thing after another. It's important for us to understand about the gospel and this idea of sonship. It goes from pre-sonship to a legal thing, but then to this feeling thing, to this reality in our hearts. It's a powerful passage. So, Um, adoption is available, permanent forever adoption relationship. And it's laying there in front of you if you haven't believed. And it's only by belief that we move into that relationship. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do it. You just believe. It's not a list. And for those of us who are believers, who are there already, Let's just go back like Paul's encouraging us to do and and look at what this full thing is, is the gospel, the story of the redemption of Jesus taking our place to make us right with God and to know him and be in a 
firstborn relationship with him. 